If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Friends, we are in week three of our series that we do annually at the start of the year called Come As You Are. And over the last few weeks, uh, ending next week, we are taking a journey through the invitation of Jesus where he first approached his disciples and when he started his ministry and his invitation was this, follow me, come as you are. Don't prove yourself. Don't try and be someone you're not. Don't try and fix all your sin and all your trouble and the pain and the shame and the addiction that you might be stuck in. Just come and follow me. When Jesus starts his ministry, we read in Matthew 4 how he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture, I imagine those really weird people standing on sidewalks with like a big cardboard saying, Repent! And that is not what Jesus meant when he said this. This was not an exclamation of guilt or condemnation. When Jesus started his public ministry and he ushered it in with this statement saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It wasn't about guilt. It wasn't about shame. It wasn't about you better repent because God is coming back. You don't know when that might be. So if you're caught sleeping or sinning and he comes back, you're in trouble. That is not what he meant. What he meant with this statement was the fact that I am ushering in a new era. I am ushering in what you have been missing all along. I am bringing in, I am making real, I am making tangible the kingdom of God. And what you need to do is follow me. He extended that invitation to everyone, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, the rich, the poor, men and women, children, anyone. He said, follow me, repent, change the way you think, change the way that your life is formed. Follow me, I'm bringing in the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of heaven mean? It is God's rule and reign, not only in me, speaking about salvation, but it is God's rule and reign through me, speaking about purpose. What am I here for? Sounds simple, right? Just follow him. Great. Amen. I can do that. Shop. But for some reason, this confounds us. How can it be that simple? Just follow Jesus. And this is then the question for tonight. Because somewhere in your Christian journey, whether you're at the start, in the middle, or wherever, somewhere in your Christian journey, you will ask this question. What do I need to do to be right with God, right? We've all asked that question. What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? God, what is the standard? What do I need to achieve? What do I need to do to make sure I'm right with God so that when he comes back, I won't be one of those really awkward people not welcomed into the kingdom of heaven? And tonight, we're going to look at a statement from Jesus himself answering that question. What exactly do I need to do and what exactly do you need to do in order to be right with God? You may think you're a rebel. You're not. All of us want to know what are the rules. 
you may think doesn't apply to me. Like, I'm Gen Z, like, stuff the rules, you know, I do my own thing. All of us, deep down, want to know what will get me across the finish line. What's that thing? Or what are the things that'll get me across the finish line so that I can be right with God and be welcomed and loved in His presence, right? Law dictates human behavior. And before we dive into the statement, just a little bit of fun. There are some really wacky laws out there in different countries in the world. I brought a few. On the island of Capri, get this, if you do not clean up after your dog has like, you know, done his business, authorities will come and pick it up, send it for DNA testing, and then come and track you down to give you a fine. How do they know it's your dog? Because also another law says all pets need to be registered. So they know what your dog's DNA is. And if you don't pick up after your dog, they will come find you. Probably give you the poo and say, there, and here's your fine. Another pet-related one. In Turin, Italy, it's a law. You have to walk your dog three times a day. Sounds super fun though, imagine like, oh, sorry, the law says I gotta go home and like chill and walk my dog, sorry, cheers, bye. I like that one. How about this one? In South Africa, this blew my mind. In South Africa, there is a law. We have laws, if you did not know. <laughs> Most people don't adhere by them, but we have laws in South Africa. One of those laws is this, it is illegal to wrestle a bear. Why? Who, who did that? And then they said, this has to be made illegal. In La Paz, Bolivia, far away, this one really offended me. There's a law in Bolivia that says, if you are a married woman, which is me, right? You are only allowed one glass of wine at any restaurant, because apparently that keeps the married women from flirting with other men. <laughs> yeah, Tamara, Tamara's asking, but how big is the glass? Like, can I decide? You are not allowed to take selfies with any Buddha statue in Sri Lanka. Also random, I thought. In the town of Quitman, Georgia, in America, it's illegal for your chicken to cross the road. It's because he knows he'll be made fun of, probably. <laughs> How about this one? From 1948 up until the year 2015, it was illegal to dance after midnight in Japan. No dancing in Japan after midnight. But luckily that's changed now. Woo! That's why COVID broke out, because they danced and then, I don't know, did something. Another one. In Ontario, Canada, in Canada, you are not allowed to climb trees. It's illegal, not allowed to climb trees. And then my two favorite ones. In Arizona, it is illegal to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub. Here's why that's a law. The year was 1924, I kid you not, I researched this. The year was 1924. Randomly one day, a donkey stumbled upon an abandoned bathtub in someone's yard, climbed into the bathtub and took a nap. 
Coincidentally, that same day, a nearby dam wall breaks and the city floods and the donkey in the bathtub is swept away. Luckily for all the animal activists, they rescue the donkey, but then they decided it's really expensive to rescue a sleeping donkey in a bathtub, so they made it illegal. No sleeping donkey is in bathtubs in Arizona. And then the last one, my favorite one. This one gets better with every word you read in the sentence. Are you ready? Okay. It's illegal to fart. It gets better. It's illegal to fart in a public place after 6 p.m. on Thursdays in Florida. <laughs> it's illegal to fart in a public place after 6 p.m. on Thursdays in Florida. I don't know how they enforce that. Like, I'm not sure. Some laws are weird. Some laws tend to be really strange. But the point I'm making is this. Law dictates human behavior. Something inside of me is always looking for the line, always looking for the standard, always looking for the box to fit in when it comes to what am I allowed to do and what am I not allowed to do? And in your Christian journey, you need to answer this question. What do I need to do? to be right with God. The Israelites were no strangers to laws. In fact, we read in Exodus how just after their liberation, the entire nation of Israel is saved and freed from slavery. They go into the desert and then they start asking, okay, now what? We have no clue what to do now. I was a slave my entire life. Now I've been liberated. God, now what? How does this work? How does this work, me being your people and you being my God, and now I'm saved out of Egypt? What do I need to do to be right with you? And God tells them, via Moses, they receive what was known as the Torah or what we know as the Mosaic law, basically the first five books in your Old Testament. And God tells them in great detail, this is what you need to do to be right with me. A total of 613 laws in detail. This is what you need to do. And if you read through the Old Testament, you will very quickly realize something. That this is what you need to do arrangement lasted about five minutes. And then it went to hell, very literally. <laughs> We read throughout the Old Testament how time after time after time, God's people cannot do what is necessary to be right with Him. They keep failing. They keep falling into sin. They keep falling into idolatry. It's like that moment, you know, when you've just finished that mountain of laundry that was staring at you for weeks, or that mountain of dishes that was making you feel like a bad citizen almost. And for those five minutes that that chair in your room is clean, it feels so good. And then you know, two minutes later, there's more laundry, there's more dishes, there is more stuff. That's how it worked with God and the Israelites. 
Time after time, they fail. Time after time, God forgives them, tells them this is what you need to do. Time after time, they don't get it right. They sin, fall into idolatry. What do I need to do to be right with God? Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus answers the question. Please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is a collection of teaching from Jesus to people, given to people in a hill area in Galilee. And this Sermon on the Mount was famous because this is like the best description of what we have, Matthew 5, of what it could look like when the kingdom of God becomes real in the here and now. We read of statements in Matthew 5 like, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Jesus teaches on anger, adultery, divorce, revenge. It's the best sermon ever recorded. He teaches things like love your enemy. And then he says this. He answers, what do you need to do to be right with God? And he says this, Matthew 5, 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. That's not good news, friends. Let's read it again. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Let's quickly pause there. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? Scribes were experts in Jewish law. They had the responsibility of generation after generation transcribing the Bible, the manuscripts, making sure that the law was kept in writing as people die and get old and there has to be a copy going forward. They were known as scholars of the law, legal scholars. Pharisees were like this religious sect in a sense and they were known for their strict very strict adherence to the law of Moses. They were the teachers of the law. They had to know all 613 laws by heart and be able to recite them. They started their training, scribes and Pharisees, in childhood already to be able to do what they do. And here Jesus says, you need to do better than that. That sucks. Sounds impossible, right? It is impossible. You and I, we know this. I don't have to spend much time trying to convince you. I know me, Aiden, I don't reach that standard. I don't. My righteousness does not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And guess what? Yours neither. How do we know this? Romans 3, 10 to 12, it says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. That's such a nice description of me and you in the Bible, right? All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Now you're thinking, sheesh, this is church. Where is the good news? I'll get there in a second. We all know this feeling when I try and I fail. Because then what happens is I try harder and then I fail. 
And then I come to church Sunday evening and I promise God during that like second song of worship when more of the hands start reaching up to heaven because now I feel more comfortable. I feel like I've sung enough songs. So now God is pleased with me again. And I promise God never again will I sin or stumble or do that thing that I know is bad for me. And then five minutes later, there's laundry on the chair again. We know we don't, we don't get there. We don't get to the standard. Some of you are thinking, Aiden, I know. Thank you very much for reminding me. I already feel bad about myself. <laughs> I'll get to you in a second. Some of you might be thinking, I'm not that bad a person. I am a pretty decent human being. I don't kill cats. I pay my taxes. I register to vote. I'm a pretty good citizen, right? I'm not that bad a person. Listen to this, Isaiah 64, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. <laughs> that filthy rags is actually a very disturbing translation in your Bible. It speaks about the rags used to clean up bloody situations. <laughs> your righteous deeds, it's like rags before God and His standard of holiness, his standard of kingdom, his standard of awesomeness. We can never get there. Here's the good news. So then how do I know what I need to do in order to be right with God? If that's the standard and the standard is impossible and I will never get there, try as hard as you may, you will never get there. What then is the solution? Jesus gives the solution right before he says, your righteousness needs to exceed that of scribes and Pharisees. Right before that, he actually gives the solution. Let's read again in Matthew 5, 17 to 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Because now you might be thinking, if God knew we would never be able to obey the law, why then is there a law? We'll get to that in another sermon. But now he's saying, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but, get this, to fulfill them. Because you see, there needs to be a fulfillment. <laughs> There needs to be someone that actually does reach the standard. There needs to be someone that can actually obey and love and follow God no matter what. And it's not you and it's not me, but it's the big brother, Jesus. He says, I come to fulfill the law because you could not. I come to pay the price because you cannot. I come to build the bridge because you will never get there by yourself. And then he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. The law is not bad, but the law is bad when you and I can't fulfill it. We need someone else to fulfill the law. Enter Jesus. This is what we call in church the divine exchange. There's a divine exchange that takes place when you receive the gift that is salvation. And in order for you to understand that gift, you need to have a grip on these three words, judgment, mercy, and grace. Judgment, I get what I deserve. Mercy, I don't get what I deserve. Grace, I get what I did not deserve. 
You need to get a grip on those three words. Judgment, I get what I deserve. Mercy, I don't get what I'm deserved. I'm spared of it. But grace, I get what I don't deserve. And all three of them are fully accomplished in the work of Jesus. Because in the work of Jesus, he's judged. The wrath and the punishment for sin and death and everything that is wrong with the world is poured out on him because God is righteous. In the work of Jesus, mercy is extended to you because someone else pays the price. You don't. I don't get what I deserve. I am set free from the punishment. But sometimes we stop there. Don't stop there because there's a third leg and it's grace. Grace is I get what I did not deserve. What do I get? Favor, freedom, identity, intimacy, belonging. I am fully accepted in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, speaking of Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, you and I can become the righteousness of God. That's the exchange. That means, this is very important, that means that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. The acceptance that Jesus has from his Father is true of you. The intimacy that Jesus has with his Father is true of you. The position that Jesus has as a, a son, the son of God, privilege, right, belonging, identity. It is true of you because of grace. So how do I get there? What do I need to do? It's actually so simple, but it confounds us. I accept the gift in faith. Romans 3, 20 to 22 says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. If you're trying to work your way to be right with God, you will be very tired come tomorrow morning. <laughs> Don't do that. Then it says, rather, through the law, we have become conscious of our sin. See, the law is useful. It makes me conscious of my sin. <laughs> but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And then he ends by saying, what do I do to be right with God? Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. I want to invite the worship team to join me on stage. We're going to respond in a moment just with celebrating communion together. You see, we, we've prepped communion for tonight because this is, it can actually be so simple, but it floors us time and time again. Can it be that simple? Accepting and receiving the divine exchange, his righteousness becomes mine. Yes, if you do it in faith. If you try and do it with your own filthy rags, there'll be laundry on the chair immediately. If you try and get there by your own filthy rags, there'll be dirty dishes immediately. Jesus' invitation to people that he met was this, follow me. You can't get to where you need to go. Let me show you the way. Let me do the work. 
come with me, experience what it really means to have life in the kingdom of God. Where does that leave you and me? Maybe you need to repent of your filthy rags. <laughs> Maybe you need to repent of all the good things you do to try and impress God. <laughs> Might be true. But maybe there are other things that you need freedom of. You need those things to be taken off you, the load of sin and shame and guilt and addiction. How do I get there? It's faith, faith in Jesus, faith in His work, faith in the finished work on the cross when He died and He rose to life. Yes, it is actually simple. I think so because Jesus knew we can't handle complicated things. We need things to be simple. The invitation to you is follow Him. Do life with Him. Fit into the kind of unforced rhythms of grace. Can you stand with me? We're going to pray together. We're going to enjoy communion in a second. But I don't want to let this moment pass. So... We don't have super pastors that like do things from the stage and all of that. We're very average people just following Jesus in this family. But I don't want to let this moment pass without just giving you the opportunity to engage with your father yourself. Because you can hear him. You can experience him. And the best thing about a father and a God in heaven is that he really loves speaking to his children. Did you know that? He enjoys speaking with you. He enjoys your voice. He likes it when you call unto Him. He is attentive immediately when He hears your voice calling God. So won't you with me just in some way, maybe you want to raise your hands, maybe you want to sit down, maybe you want to kneel on your knees, you can do that even. But in some way, just engage with God for a second. Maybe some of you need to repent. Say, God, God, come and renew my mind. Those filthy rags I'm clinging to to give me a sense of righteousness before you, I want to let go of that. Maybe some of you need to repent of sin that's holding you back. Invite Him, ask Him, God, come and renew my mind. Come and renew my mind concerning these things that keep me captive, that keep me in the dark, that keep me blind. pray for you and then once I've prayed for you we're gonna just spend some time in in another worship song and during that time I want to invite you to go and celebrate communion communion in this church family is a joyous thing because we celebrate the work of Jesus when he made it possible for me to live in the light and to live in the kingdom and to have the, the kingdom live through me Let's pray together. Father, we as your children are so easily confused sometimes. And um, tonight, Father, we want to just trust in faith together. That your Holy Spirit would come and solidify this truth, not only in our minds, but deep in our spirits as well. That we can be fully accepted 
fully loved in your presence because of the work of your son, Jesus. And Father, tonight we want to repent of those filthy rags we cling to for security, the filthy rags we cling to for righteousness, the filthy rags we cling to to try and make ourselves feel better than other people, the filthy rags we cling to to make me feel okay when I come to church because I'm ashamed or even not, the filthy rags I cling to because I'm stuck in sin or addiction. God, tonight we want to let go of those things in faith and invite your Holy Spirit to come and fill us. God, we pray together as we celebrate communion and the work of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would constantly just remind us of this truth, that the price has been paid and I can follow Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.